so happy to have you. And I want to go ahead and start by giving you the opportunity to go ahead and introduce yourself, um, what you do and the station that you work for and how long you've been a journalist there. Wow. Uh, I'm coming up on my two-year mark uh, at K4. Uh, it's the NBC-affiliated Oklahoma City. Uh, my name is Ashley Moss, a TV reporter. Um, this is my second or third career, depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, before K4, I was actually a print and digital journalist in Dallas. Uh, and then I also worked behind the scenes as an assignment editor for a television station there. So. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm a general assignment. Okay. And can you talk about, you know, what got you involved? What got you motivated to actually want to become a journalist? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I wish that I had one of those stories to say, Hey, I always loved being, I was did news reporting print growing up and, and I always knew I wanted to be a reporter and that really just isn't so. <laughs> uh, I remember it was a vague thought. Uh, my senior year of college, I took a journalism class and a broadcast journalism class and actually hated it um, at a different school. And so I kind of put the idea away. And it's one of those things that just kind of kept creeping back. Um, I thought I was going to end up getting my MBA and working on Wall Street and doing all these other things. And news was always in the back of my mind. Um, I My first job out of college, I was actually a government contractor and I worked for military health and I had to go to Walter Reed every week and I started meeting people Uh, and I started hearing stories and I started sharing stories. And I I always tell people, I think that's probably really where it came from. Um, And it's an opportunity to connect with people and think about issues and problems that matter and connect people regardless of who you are. Um, and so that kind of led me on this long and winding journey. I went, I went, did go back to school for journalism and then it took 10 years for me to get my first job in news, um, because life happened. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people when I tell you that I'm in this, I'm in this. <laughs> wow. And I gotta say, you know, just from, you know, afar, I've been noticing that you've been killing it down there. Uh, up there in OKC, you know, with these stories and the perspectives that a lot of other news outlets, especially a lot of other broadcast news outlets are just not covering. Um, And, you know, the reason why I really wanted to theme this episode, uh, Speaking Truth to Power, is because I've seen you do that, you know, and I really want to just kind of give you an opportunity to, to talk about one story that I really appreciated you covering. I thought it was really impactful. Um, you know, we had that that at shooting outside the uh, the football game um, earlier this fall, uh, the Choctaw High School football game, you know, and everyone was really focused on kind of what happened, who shot, why did they shoot, that kind of thing. But you uncovered something that other outlets did not uncover. Can you talk about what you uncovered? Yeah, it was really and it's a story that's still growing, right? And so, you know, you you mentioned a really good point. It was like this nuts and bolts. The shooting happens, and it is a sad story, right? A kid dies, right? A teenager dies, it's another teenager. That's a whole story in itself. Mm-hmm. The story within the story is that there was another man who was a bystander and attending the game who gets shot by an off-duty officer. Mm-hmm. And the chaos, what they're calling at the moment, the chaos 
of everything that happened, a black man is shot by reportedly an off-duty white officer. Mm-hmm. And at the time, and the initial reports were that this was necessary and justified. The man presented a threat. The officer was protecting himself and everyone around him. Mm-hmm. And I heard directly from the man and his attorney say that's not true. Um, and and the story that we've heard um, from Mr. Demetrius Carter is that he was attending the game. He was familiar with the people that were involved. He was attempting to de-escalate the situation. Um, he held up a cell phone and he was shot by somebody in law enforcement that he was actually familiar with. Wow. And the reason being is because he's got a history um, that I won't bring up because it's really not relevant to the story, but he does have, he has a history. Mm-hmm. And he has a familiarity with police mm-hmm. um, from the other side of the law. And so he says, this was not, uh, he, what he told me is, and, and we get this call, and this is what I'll say as a Black journalist, when we're calling truth to power, mm-hmm. part of the way that we're able to do that is by building trust in relationships in the community. And we have the opportunity to do that in ways that nobody else will. I got that story because someone, he wanted to share his story and they asked around and someone said to call that girl at K4. And I don't say that to, I don't say that to pump myself up. I say that because, and I still haven't done enough. I've done just enough to try to build trust in the community so that when someone has a story to share, they feel comfortable calling and asking for me. Mm. Mr. Carter says, and this is public because we've reported it, he was trying to de-escalate a situation. He had a familiarity with this particular officer. There was a tussle. And he says that officer targeted him. And this man is left with life-altering injuries. I mean, when I met him in the hospital days after the shooting, this man shows, you know, opens up his hospital gown and he's got scars and a clostomy bag and he's he can't, can't talk. He can barely talk. So that's why we never interviewed him on camera. He's in the room. He says, I want to show you my injuries. Wow. Uh, but my attorney literally has to speak on my behalf because I have hit a tube down, wanted to take it out. Um, so here's what happens on this particular side of the story. And I think as television journalists, we're often on these tight timelines. Mm-hmm. You start requesting unedited body-worn camera footage. You're requesting police reports, the initial reports and the affidavits that are filed. We're requesting medical reports. And here's the thing about uh, a lack of transparency that's coming out in this story. We're not getting denied requests. We're not getting any responses at all. Mm. Mm. There's no response at all. No. I'm actually, I was looking at um, the attorney that's representing Mr. Carter, spoke with him the other day. And he forwarded me another request that he filed two days ago. He doesn't get any responses. I don't get any responses. So there's not even, there's no type of communication, which is a lack of transparency in itself. There's not even an acknowledgement for the request, right? You call, you leave a message, you, you send off a formal request, you try to send off, you know, the unofficial request and you get nothing back. 
which is actually fairly surprising to me because there's not even an acknowledgement that they've even received it. So they can't, even if they wanted to say that they're, they're following their protocol or their guidelines, we can't release the information because right. it's not in the interest of the public. We can't release this information because, you know, it's an issue of safety. We can't release this information. You know, there are some things coming down the pike, but there's not even an attempt to offer hmm. another explanation. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at with that story. And that the strange thing with that story is um, the another police department was at the hospital the day that I met Mr. Carter and his attorney. And so they were very well aware. I reached out and said, yes, I've talked to Mr. Carter. Yes, I've talked to his attorney. Here's several questions that I have, no response. They physically see me in the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, then they start trying to do, that's when they released a statement to say, hey, we're we're investigating this. Um, this particular police department has a history of excessive force. They have a history of uh, accusations or claims of police brutality. Mm. And there's a documented history of issues with the Black community and other communities of color. Wow. Wow. Um, there's a case that was quietly um, settled that happened in 2020 allegations of with a driver that was just passing through and that got settled quietly through, you know, and three years later in a city council meeting. Mm. And so that's where we're at. And I think one thing I've learned since is I remember, you know, I did a second story about the calls for information. And I remember my producer Someone else in the room says, no, we can't do the story because they didn't answer the questions. That is the story. No, that is the story. Because that's what the public is looking for us. The public needs to know that we asked questions, that we asked the who, what, when, where, and why. They need to know that we didn't get the, the answers back. And then they need to know why and what we're going to do next about it. And see, the fact that you pushed back with your perspective on why, no, this is the story. This this is important for our audience for the community to know. I feel like that just is, a, is an example of the importance and the impact that Black journalists have on the industry, right? Um, for you think about the civil rights movement, you think about um, police brutality today, you know, um, it's always been Black media or Black journalists at these newsrooms that have been trying to you know, push against these narratives that that have no basis in 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 in, in fact that they can back up. You know, we saw with the George Floyd police report versus the video. We saw, you know, um, you know what happened in Memphis. Um, you know, uh, you know with that initial police report versus the video that came out, which was just horrendous. And so, you know, I think that just shows the importance of Black journalists. Which, by the way, we make up. I believe the Pew Research Center's latest study was six percent. Of the industry, and that's not reflective of Oklahoma, <laughs> right? I mean, the work that you guys do is incredible. People aren't doing that. I mean, I can I can probably think about it. People aren't doing the work that y'all do everywhere, mm -hmm. but I can count at least the number of broadcast journalists and print journalists in Oklahoma City. We don't even cover a hand mm -hmm. <laughs> at the moment. But I feel like, so and I appreciate that. Back. Yeah. 
But you're, but you know, we need, we need us in all these spaces, right? Because we all play a role in pushing that needle, needle forward, you know, and we need us, especially in these kind of, you know, uh, traditional white dominated spaces to help provide that perspective that ultimately is only going to improve the industry of journalism as a whole anyway. Um, so I do, I do want to ask you, you know, with that statistic of only 6% of us being reflected in, in, in the journalism industry nationwide, what would your message be to young people, maybe the younger you, who maybe didn't really even ever consider journalism as a, as a path, um, but, you know, they hear about the impact that your stories are having, what would your message be to them, uh, maybe, when it comes to their future? Um, don't be afraid of nonlinear paths, and don't be afraid to not be like the rest of the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about, one of the reasons it, it took so long is, is um, I had a life-altering event. My mm-hmm. dad passed away suddenly and that changed everything for me. But when I wanted to try to get back on track, I was so unsure of what I could and would offer news and journalism. I couldn't imagine going into it you know, when they say, what are you going to bring to this newsroom? What are you going to report on? I, I didn't know, you know? And so what I wish that young black journalists would understand, you have to have a firm understanding of who you are and what you have to offer. And you, and that's perspective. Mm. That's perspective. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be candid. I'm one of two, three black journalists, one of two honored black journalists in my newsroom right now, three, if you include our photo journalist. And I have to, every day, I I have to answer questions about what I'm wearing and what it's everything from what I'm wearing and why I'm wearing it to why I like to have Black people and other people of color. I'd have a conversation one day about why I put people of color in my stories whenever I can. I've had viewers, I've had to explain to viewers that, um, you know, I did a story one day um, I and that's something, it, it doesn't always happen, but that's something internally that I've I've made a priority whenever possible. I need to have diversity in my story. It doesn't mean they always have to be black. It doesn't mean they always have to be women, but they, it has to be something different because that's what the city of Oklahoma City is. Mm. It's not monolithic. Good point. Um, and that's perspective that I'm bringing to the table because I've, I'm have i from somewhere else. I've lived this other life. I've had these other jobs. I know what's important to me. I know what's important. I figured out what's important to other people. I sat back in 2020 um, and that's when I launched my journalism career. I sat back in 2020. I was like, I've got to, I've got to be a part of what's of this reckoning that's going on around the country. I have something to offer to people that don't look like me, but I've had to explain to viewers. I I got a viewer email asking me why I put nobodies in my stories. Wow. Hmm. I get questions like that all the time. How do you, and other hmm? no, go ahead. And other people I was, you know, I was talking to someone this week who says, and the thing about television news is that we're always on super tight deadlines, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm envious of, of print and digital because there's room to breathe in ways that we don't have room to breathe. We got to get something on air by 10 o'clock, like, and you got to make it worth it. And it's got to be valuable. Um, but that's what makes the work that we do so much more important. We have very limited time to tell a cohesive story that is going to resonate with 
the people that are watching it. Um, and in Oklahoma City, there's so much history, there's so much depth, there's so much perspective, and you're not going to get it if we're giving you the same stuff every night mm. at 10. That's a good point. Well, I am so grateful that you are in the space doing the work that you're doing because it is having an impact. The fact that they are sending you those emails means that you are piercing through their worldview, their narrow worldview, and it it upsets them. And that's what we have to do as journalists, regardless of, you know, who it upsets or who it pisses off, because that's just our job, you know. And I think that um, continuing to do the work you're, that you're doing, um, I don't want, I, I definitely don't envy every aspect of what you do, because I definitely see the tight windows. And I'm grateful that I have an opportunity to kind of take a step back and and and, and provide more context and really provide that analysis for people to understand the background. But I'm impressed and, and impressed isn't the right word. I I really admire those those broadcast journalists like yourself and others that I've, I've, I follow who are able to provide that cohesive story in such a tight window in a way that people from diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives can understand fully what's going on. And so um, please keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> we'll try. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, I do, you know, uh, want to ask if there's any like extra bonus, uh, bonus, you know, uh, you know, little sneak peeks that you can give us of the current story that you're working on when it comes to um, trying to get these records from the police or any other story that maybe you're still working on that you think uh, is kind of juicy that people should, should be following for updates on. The one thing I've, I've learned in this applies probably to three stories that I'm working right now is that the public, I think I mentioned this, the public needs to know that we're asking the questions. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's an upcoming story follow for this, for Mr. Carter. You know, the, the thing about Mr. Carter, and the, the reason that story I think resonates with people that don't look like us in the communities, because Mr. Carter was a Joe Schmo at a football game and he gets shot. The, the, the high high-flying narrative, he, he gets shot in the chaos, mm. a family man that gets shot in the chaos of what should have been a family-oriented game, right? And so people want to, people want to see how he's doing three months later. Mm. Um, they want to, they want to physically see those injuries. Is he up and walking? Has he, has he regained, you know, those basic things? And that's what I appreciate about television is you get to give sneak peeks into people's lives and you can revisit three months later with compelling video that shows what happened, right? Um, and so the story, unfortunately, there that we keep prodding at is, please give us the record. Mm. If you don't give us the records, that's fine. But we're going to have to say the city of Del City has declined. The city of Del City is actually not even responding to our request for unedited body-worn camera video, uh, the initial police reports, the affidavits um, that were provided afterwards, and then any, you know, the history of the officer involved, right? That's what we're plotting for there. Um, another story, another series of stories that I've worked on um, in Oklahoma City that it's a, it's another, it's a sad moment for me are, are prison deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke with, I spoke with a family. Um, I've done several stories and, and unfortunately in Oklahoma and Oklahoma City and Tulsa, like we know this, this is our, our system here we're what number two in the country for incarceration rates or number one. We're definitely, we, we keep going between the top three. We're up there. We're top 
taught, we're taught for all the wrong things, right? In in the state of Oklahoma. And one of part of what comes with that designation of being top one, two, or three for incarceration rates are people falling through the system. Just because you end up as an inmate in the system does not mean that you don't deserve care, that you don't deserve respect, and that you don't deserve safety. And I've reported on several stories of men and women dying in, in custody, whether it's police custody or whether it's um, in prison, local county jails. Um, and so it's another record story. A lot of the stories I do, sometimes they're hard to make visual because they're about requests for information, right? So this later story I'm working on, I, I spoke with a mom a few weeks ago and she said, you, I saw that you did this story. My son died in Dick Connors Correctional Center earlier this year. Um, no one will answer my questions. We're at the beginning of that story. And I got the opportunity to speak with her this week. Um, she's got one page of a medical summary for how they say her son died. Um, it's another story. The medical examiner will not respond to my request for his full medical examiner's report. Wow. Um, and in the process, here's another arc. She's denied life insurance. That's a whole other story. Mom's denied life insurance. Not only can she not get the answers about how her son died, why he died, when he died, she finds out from another inmate, she gets denied life insurance from a policy that was active. I mean, wow, wow. You know, what in the world? And that's, you know, and that, uh, that's not, that wasn't even part of the story. She just casually mentions, and we can't get the life insurance. What do you mean you can't get the life insurance? Life insurance is important, right? Particularly in the Black community. I feel like we have a different relationship with life insurance for obvious reasons. But um, we can't get the life insurance. What do you mean you can't get the life insurance? Well, they denied it. Can I see your paperwork? The paperwork has all the wrong dates on it. Hmm. The paperwork listing this young man's death is three years ago, and he died in February. That's another story. But it's an important one because it's like what happens when a commercial company denies your request, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a wrench in an already difficult situation, but it's another very relevant story because I can guarantee someone else is looking at a denial letter right now. Right. Right. I did another story this week with a veteran who's, you know, we have this kind of sorted law that got put in place. That's, you know, not doing veterans any good because they can't get access to benefits because they didn't even know that this law was put in place. And he's showing me a denial letter and I'm hearing from veterans affairs and the tax commission saying, well, he can appeal if he wants to, but there's nothing we can do about it. Wow. And it'll, he has to send it snail mail and it'll take 12 weeks for us to get back with him. And we're probably going to tell him no, but he can, he can do it if he wants to hundred percent disabled veterans. I could go on and on. Right. That's the importance of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because people don't know. We apply pressure, we ask questions, and we continue asking questions. You know, and another agency tell me that um, I did so much damage because I did a story before they were ready to, to give me the, the answers to the questions that I'd asked. I did so much damage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like shoot the messenger, right? Shoot the messenger. That's what I would say to young journalists. You cannot be afraid of people telling you no. Mm-hmm. Public officials do not dictate your story. Public officials do not dictate your narrative. They are one small piece of probably a much larger picture. 
And if you rely on a police narrative, if you rely on an agency narrative, then we're probably missing out on a core part of the story. It is the agency's job to protect their self-interest. And it is often not to the benefit of the people they claim to serve. Right. That's That's a word right there. Ashley Moss, K4 reporter. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Uh, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm Ashley Moss TV uh, on social media. Uh, I'm getting my game up there. Uh, but yeah, you can, I can be, I can, I'm on X. I still call it Twitter, um, Facebook, mm-hmm. email. I have a website. It's a by as in byline, byashleymoss.com. Uh, that's where I keep up, you know, I post stories, you can message me information, you can learn a little bit more about me, send me a crazy email and yeah. Yeah, don't 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 give me any ideas now. <laughs> well, thank you so All much right. for having me on and for you know blessing us with your wisdom and your experience. And we'll definitely be uh, following up for updates on your stories. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Dion. Thank you. Bye.